What wonderful songs we've heard this morning that draws us into the throne room of God, recognizing who He is and what He does. That song, How Great Is Our God, I texted Matt earlier in the week. It has resonated in my heart all week. And I texted him, I said, can we sing it? And then he sent me the other song. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be great. It was, it's tremendous. But let me ask you, is your God great? What has God done great in your life? Anybody want to volunteer? He, He healed you last week, amen. A lot of flu, a lot of sickness, some still out. God does big things like that. God does great things. Anybody else? Real quick. What? He's walking. Amen. Ben's here with us today. We praise the Lord for that. I saw Austin back there with the help of some crutches, but thank God Austin's back with us today. God is doing great things. Anyone else? This is, this is worship. It's not just being entertained by some music and hearing a message. It is interactive. It is us praising, praying, preaching, singing, giving. All of that is worship. And so you have an opportunity. God is stirring your heart. I don't do this very often, but God just impressed on my heart. Somebody needs to share how great God is in their life. Maybe you need to share it to be reminded and somebody else needs to hear it this morning. Anyone else have a word of what God, God, God's great in your life? Amen, ain't May? That's great. We praise the Lord for you Wednesday night, what God's doing we're so glad you're here with us today. Anyone else? Amen. We saw the video yesterday. Kids coming in this morning. I was questioning them having a ball. And we're going to see that thing grow. And lost kids come to be loved and learn about Jesus. Yes, Bryden. Yes, amen. Praise the Lord. Healed his aunt. Anyone else? Healed from cancer. How big is that? The, the C word doesn't seem quite as big in the presence of God, does it? God's a big God. Well, there's a story, true story, that plays over and over and over and over and over throughout the Old Testament as well as the New. It runs basically from Exodus to Deuteronomy. It is the picture of the Lord's love and care for the Hebrew children in the midst of bondage in Egypt, coming out through the wilderness and into the promised land. Now tell me some things about that story that God was great in. Red Sea. What did he do in the Red Sea? He parted it. And he caused the Hebrew children to go across on dry land. And then he closed, I mean, that thing's multifaceted because Pharaoh and all of his army is bearing down on them. There's nowhere to go. You ever feel like that? I mean, there's no way around it, no way under it, no way over it. It's like an old gospel song. And God caused them to go right through the middle of it. And then he closed the sea in on the Egyptians to never be seen again. What else did God do great through that whole story? It's like VBS review. Manna from heaven, amen. He fed them every day, every day. And what's really cool is on Friday, he sent enough for Friday and Saturday. What else did he do? 
Their clothes never wore out. Sorry, Becky, you wouldn't have enjoyed that time. <laughs> Truth hurts. What else? Well, usually they don't wear out. They just wear out of style, you know. But no, they wore the same thing. That is, I mean, the clothes and the shoe. I mean, it's, it's astounding what God did in that. Someone else had something else. The quail. Water from the rock. How many times that we know of? Twice that he did it. That God said, and, and the thing about the water out of the rock was he did it even in Moses' disobedience. God told him to strike the rock the first time and out would come water and he did it. Told him to speak to the rock the second time and he smote it because he was mad at the people. Yet God in his long suffering grace and mercy didn't say you did it wrong, I'm not sending it. He still sent water. I mean it goes over and over doesn't it? God does things over and over and over and over and over and over. He sent a cloud A whirlwind like a tornado during the day to lead them in a a tornado of fire by night. And God led them every step of the way. And even in their rebellion, he never left them. He never forsook them. He kept leading them until that blessed day that Moses walked up on the top of Mount Nebo, died, and Joshua took them over. I mean, think about it. We've got Jericho. We've got all kinds of other stories going on in this one story of the exodus of the Hebrew children. Yet I want you to turn with me to Psalm 78. And I want us to overlay what we started with. Healed from sickness, Notice what just about everything we said was. It was God doing something with our health. It was cancer, sickness. It was all these issues and we're back. What about God's deliverance on a job? What about a family that was on the rocks and God rescued? What about your eternal salvation through his son, Jesus Christ? Those are pretty big things, wouldn't you say? Anybody saved here today? I mean, anybody going to heaven today? Then don't we understand the depth and the severity of God's goodness and His grace? That God, in His mercy, even in our disobedience, sent His Son to die on the cross. Great are you, Lord. Oh, the love. The love that paved salvation's plan. That came down to man. But in all of our goodness and the things you're thinking about, you may not have said out loud that God has done great things in your life. Do they compare to the miracles in Egypt? Absolutely. 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 God, we say, oh, God doesn't do things like he did in the Old Testament. We may not see them because they may be done a little different, but God's still doing them. And God has done them in our life. Yet how often, as the Hebrew children, 
Do we limit the limitless God? We put, we put limitations. And the word, well, let's just read it. Psalm 78. And in verse 41. Yes, they turn back. And this whole psalm is about this exact thing of God bringing them out and their rebellion. He said, yes, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Limiting the limitless God. Where are we limiting God? How are we limiting God? Are we limiting God? And can God be limited? Those are just a few things that I want us to look at here today. That picture, and I, I looked at all different kinds of pictures trying to figure out how I was going to do it. The word limit here in the Hebrew literally means to draw a circle around oneself. It means to box yourself in and to box everything else out. To scrabble up or to lock away. And so, one, I had a, I had a slide that had a, a line drawn in the sand. But I was reminded of when we walked down the beach in Laogon, Haiti. And we walked to go minister to this frail, little, old Haitian woman that live, listen, Ethan and his buddies have been building a fort behind the house. They've taken, I love it. Man, it brings back so many memories. It's a cool deal. I'm telling you. He's got tarps. He's cut limbs. And he's taken other, where the storms blew down trees. And he's built a couple of, of log walls. And got the tarps over it. A fire pit. It very closely resembles what this old woman was living in. It had rained and it was just filthy and muddy and nasty. And as we turned in, it was just a little village that literally sat in one of the most beautiful places you would ever be in this world. We see all the pictures of the all-inclusive resorts throughout the Caribbean. This is what it looked like. If you turned and looked out to sea. But if you turned and looked this way, it was the most hard scrabble, broken down, pitiful, poor setting you've ever seen in your life. And as we walked in, the man who owned all of these things, a place that you and I would not put our dog, they were paying rent on. And the man who was the landlord of that place stood out there. He had been swimming. And as he stood there and saw us coming, he saw we were missionaries. And he stood there in defiance. And he took a long reed that he had picked up off the beach that was covered in trash. And as he saw us approach, I punched Ben. I said, watch him. He took the reed and he slowly drew a circle around himself. And then holding that reed, crossed his arms 
and stood in defiance looking at us. They said, what is he doing? Emily said, Daddy, what's wrong with that man? He don't look right. I said, he's not right. I said, he worships voodoo. I said, there's a very strong satanic presence in this area. And I'd been warned about places. And there's a thing, a, a mix of Santeria, uh, which is trying to take some world religion and mix it with uh, the occult. But then there's the straight occult of uh, voodoo. I said, he has drawn a circle around himself to prevent our spirits from interfering with his. He is limiting God. How many of us have drawn a circle around ourselves? We have hung locks on the door. We've said, God, we believe in you. We go to church and we sing songs about you. But there's places in my life you cannot go. And we're limiting the limitless God. Oh man, what's going on in the world? What's going on in Washington? And we're doomed. We have North Korea and all of this. Oh, our education system and all the poverty and all the poorness of this world. We are limiting God, church. God is bigger than America. God is bigger than our government. God is bigger than the politics of this world. He's bigger. And he's sure better. So what happens when we limit the limitless God? First of all, we become locked up. Locked up. It's it's literally locking the door on our own sail and throwing the key out of reach. We have become locked up in ourselves. Look with me in verse 17 of Psalm 78. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. Let me go on and tell you the word provoke, provoked, or provoking is mentioned four times. It's mentioned right here in verse 17, verse 40, verse 56, and verse 58. Four times. It is repeated in the, in the Greek in Hebrews chapter 3 when he talks about the day of provocation. He's talking about this. He's talking about them rebelling. He's talking about the locked upness of the Hebrew children. It said... They sinned, and they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. And here's a unique thing. We mentioned it a while ago. One thing God did was he sent quail. Why did he send quail? Because of their rebellion. Manna stopped being good enough for them. What has God given you in your life that's just not good enough anymore? Is church not good enough? Is God's word not good enough? Or does it have to be like Santeria where we think we're going to take the Bible plus something. We're going to take Jesus and something. We want religion and the world. Said they sinned and they tempted God in their heart 
by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. And they said, can God, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can God really do this? Can God do that which seems impossible? We're in the middle of nowhere. There is no sign of hope or help anywhere. You ever felt like that? You ever been in the desert of life? Where you've just had a blowout, your motor's locked up, and everything in your life has gone wrong. And you see no help and no hope anywhere around. Nobody loves you. Nobody likes you. And Satan has bombarded you. And you are so locked up by the things in your head. Well, listen to what he said. They spake against him. Can God? Behold, he smote the rock. You know what? Let me, let me just camp out on this for a minute. Can God? Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? It's the same attitude that the rulers Felix, Agrippa, and Pilate all asked when they stood in the very presence of Jesus Christ and said, what is truth? They didn't want to hear the answer. Can God? Yes. And oh, what God would have done if they would have been willing to hear the answer to their question. We don't want to hear we just want to question and go off and figure we, we'll figure it out ourselves. Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? They sinned through the tendencies of the flesh. Something we have a hard time wrapping our ha- head around is the dualism of man, that there is flesh and there's spirit. We need to grasp something here today. Jesus did not die for your flesh. He died for who you are in your spirit. And the flesh will continue to die because of the sin of this world. The imputed sin, the Adamic sin, the sin nature that is within us. But when we are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, our spirit is renewed day after day. That's why great men like Martin Luther stood and said, here I stand I can do no other. They grasped the truth that though man could kill the flesh, they could not take their spirit. And so great men and women alike throughout the ages have given their life for God. Yet his own people said, can God? It's the tendency of our flesh to doubt the future. Oh, I know. And that's what they said. Oh, but uh, can, can God do this? Now, we, we get that he brought water, or, or, or brought, but can he do other stuff? Oh, yeah, God, you've cured, cured me of cancer, but I don't know how you can fix this. Oh, yeah, you, you, you fixed my marriage, but God, I, I just don't know if you can fix my kids. 
God, you've, you've provided when we were newlyweds and provided for our bills, but God, you just, I don't think you understand how, how hard this situation really is. Can God? Our tendencies of the flesh is to doubt the future. Why? Why, why is that? Because we've never been there. But we have seen what God has done, right? How do we look at other people? We look at them based on their track record. You ever had to hire somebody? You look at their resume. You look at their work history. You look, will they work? Do they work hard? Do they pay their bills? Do they do those things that are things of integrity? I'm going to ask you one very poignant question. Be real honest with yourself. Has God ever let you down? Yeah, has he ever let anybody down? So what we need to do, every time that doubt pops up, we need to beat it about the head and shoulders. We need to pull out all the big guns of faith, prayer, of praise, of adoration, and absolutely beat it to a pulp. For doubt is nothing but the tendency of our flesh to go back to our own pre-understandings of life. We get all wrapped up in the doubt. But then the fear. We fear the past. Now, how do you fear something that's already gone on? Hear me now. This is good. We fear that God really didn't forget our past. Everybody in this room's got a past. Everybody. I got a past. You got a past. And we can sit around and we can brag about all that we did for Satan. And it sinks into our heart because it's more glamorous to talk about that sin in the world's eyes than to talk about God's goodness and deliveries in our life now. And so we fear the past. That somehow that past is going to come, ooh, I'm going to get you. We call it the skeletons in our closet. Well, let me ask you, does a skeleton have a heart? Does a skeleton have a brain? Does skeleton even have any skin or muscles or tendons or ligaments or blood vessels? So all a skeleton is, is a bunch of old, dry, dead bones. What are you supposed to do with a skeleton? Bury it. Now where do we bury it? As, as the old timers would say, we need to bury it in the sea of God's forgetfulness. To me, one of the most poignant services I've ever viewed, and I've, I was not there, but I've watched them before, is when they bury someone at sea. You know, they buried Osama bin Laden at sea. You know why? Because they would never have a place to go To worship him. Very good reason. 
somewhere out in the middle of the ocean, they dumped his body, his dead skeleton, wrapped in decaying flesh over the side of that ship to sink into the depths of the sea. So are we worried today that Osama bin Laden may come out like he's Megatron at the bottom of the ocean and Ooh, he's got somebody that's flown in from outer space to interject life into him. He's going to come up. He's going to come haunt us all. Are we afraid of that? Then why do we think Satan can bring up our past when Jesus has laid it asunder by the power of his blood? Somebody say amen. I mean, come on. Man, I'm going to tell you, I am so thankful. I am so thankful. That God is greater than all my sin. But I still doubt. And I still face the fear. Then we become consumed with the present. Consumed with the present. Oh, they just looked around right there. Right there. Now, by the time this happened, they had been... We already heard that they had already had water out of the rock. He's already brought them out of the Red Sea. There's no telling what all they had already seen. But all they could see was right now. Look around you in your heart today. Look around at the miracles God has wrought in your life and in other people's lives that you know about here today. Think back to the baptisms. Think back to the Bible schools. Think back to the revivals. Think back to the times of God stirring men's hearts. Stirring yours. Think back to that moment of realization that you were lost and on your way to an eternal damnation. A sinner's hell. And the truth of the gospel was preached and that power of the cross was revealed to you and you were convinced and convicted and in your repentance you cried, Father, save me through the blood of your Son. And that inrushing, that inrushing of life that transformed your corpse made you eternally alive. Do you remember that? Do you remember that moment? Whereas so much of this world caused it just to be obfuscation in life. It's just all just a mishmash of just blah. We're just going through the motions. Because all we can see is right here. But you know what? God's never going to show you tomorrow and next week, next year. There's a lot of people make money on telling you that they can they sit out there and they tell you they can look at your palm, they can look at cards, they can look at these at the stars, they can look at all this stuff. And, and even in religiosity, when they say, oh, I'm a seer and God has shown me things, I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe in a second. God's going to tell you something about my life before he tells me. Now, there ain't but one I believe he will, and that's her. Now, I'm not joking. 
And I thank God for a wife that is tender to the speaking of God in her life for our marriage. Because sometimes I've got blinders on. I mean, we know how to fix things. We, we think logically in one plus, you know, I ain't going to go to math because I'll mess that up. But we figure, okay, I can do this and I can fix this and this will work. But we become blinded by our own insecurities, our own logic to where our spouse can nudge us in the right direction because there's, and, and hear this, spouse, whether it's husband or wife, your spouse is depending on you to be spiritual whether they admit it or not. And so if you're not right, how are you going to speak life into them? How was one, group, one tribe going to help another tribe when they were not right with God? How are we going to challenge the world if we're not right? We become consumed. This is what David said. Though we can't see tomorrow, we can see each step. Because he said, your word, O God, is a lamp unto my feet. It literally means to shine right here. And a lamp unto my path. Each step. God, I'm going with you. Each step. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do out there. I don't know if there's a cliff. I don't know if there's a mountain. I don't know if there's a, a, a serpent. I have no idea, but I know right here. You said your word has shined a light for me to take the next step. And the next. And each step that I go. Stop being consumed by the past. Doubting the future and fearing the past consumed with today because of the tendency of the flesh. They sin. And it's a reliance on ourself, really. A reliance on ourself. Uh, they thought only their work could provide. Now, remember what they did in Egypt? Do you remember? What, what did the Hebrew children do? What were they, first of all? Slaves. What do slaves do? They work. And when Moses came and said, God said, let my people go. What did Pharaoh make them do? More work. And then he come back and did it again. And he did it again. And each time, Pharaoh increased to the point. He said, now you're going to make the same amount with less straw. You're going to make the same with less money. You're going to have to work harder. To the point they rebelled against Moses, did they not? But in rebelling against Moses, they were rebelling against we're rebelling against God. Listen, students, youth, children, when you rebel against leadership, when you rebel against adults, when you rebel against your children, you're rebelling against God. You cannot rebel against authority and be okay in the will of God. Can't do it. Can't do it. Ephesians tells us how husbands are to love their wives, wives are to love their husbands, children are to obey their parents, and how servants and masters are to treat each other with love, love, respect. It's the reliance. They thought only their work, 
Oh, we work, we work, we don't need God. We Listen, if we can make more bricks with less straw under the circumstances, we can do anything. We have so convinced ourselves. We may sing about God. We may talk about God. But we're convinced when the rubber meets the road, we've got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can get it done. I'm going to tell you something. All you're going to do is cut the blood circulations off to your feet because you cannot do it without God. Can't do it. Well, we just need to work harder. No, church. It's not of works of righteousness which we have done, if we could. But we can't even do that. There was a group tried it, and the earth opened and swallowed them up in the wilderness. God sent fire down. I mean, listen, you start trying to think you can work it all out, you'll start being convinced you're God, and before long, you're gone. It's their belief systems that no doubt some of the, the pre-understanding they brought out of Egypt, some stuff they had heard. And so people started dabbling in this and dabbling in that. And here's a big one. Listen to me now. Majority mistakes. Well, everybody's doing it. So, I'm going to tell you something. One person in the will of God is a majority. Read about Elijah. Read about Samuel. Read about Daniel. One. Just one. I know, listen, we like to build a consensus. We want to build a team. We want to, but listen, they got their eyes on each other rather than on God. And so a million people coming together and said, we don't have Moses. We don't have a God. Let's make one. Majority don't make you right. If that is the case, then Mormonism and Islam is the right religions of the world. Because they've been the fastest growing. That means each Sunday during football season and on certain nights in baseball stadiums around the world and in arenas during basketball season, the people who are right are the sports crowd. It means the people who go out and protest and stand a million deep protesting for a woman's right to kill their baby. It makes them right because they're a majority at times. They don't make it right. They don't make it right. The reliance on ourselves. But look in verse 40 and 41. Limiting the limitless God. Not only were they locked up, locking their selves up. We think God, oh, why would you do this to me, God? You put... No, we lock ourselves up. By our doubt and our confusion and our belief systems. But then we lock God out. He said in verse 40 and 41... How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They locked God out by a rebellious spirit. There was no want of God. They didn't want God. 
We say we want God, but we really don't. Because when we want God, we understand we've got to stop wanting what we want. Now, the funny thing is, the more we want God, the more our desires become interconnected and focused on His desires for us. That's how praying in the will of God is. When we pray God's will be done, the more we grow to be like Christ, the more we live in the Spirit, the more our prayers will be verbalized that are God's will. God would use us. Not that God would give us a forgiveness for not doing what He wants us to do, or that God would somehow circumvent what we know He wants in our life, but we would go headstrong and headlong into doing what God wants for our lives. But they had a rebellious spirit. How oft did they provoke Him? Just rebellious. I've had parents come to me and say, Pastor, please pray. I don't know what I'm going to do. My child is the most rebellious thing. They don't want to hear anything we've got to say. And we're afraid by the time they get three or four, there ain't going to be nothing we can do with them. I've saw some that's made me question possibly the need for an exorcism. I'll be honest with you. But the truth is, whether expressed or hidden, we all have a rebellious spirit. God will break us when we let him. Sometimes God, God will break us when we don't want to let him. I can think of seven sons, seven brothers, who thought they were going to do a big God thing only to have the spirit of Satan come out of a man possessed, jump on them, beat them up, and if that wasn't bad enough, took their clothes and sent them home naked. That's found in Acts, not in Old Testament. Old man Sceva's boys had a rough day. I read about a priest in the Old Testament whose two sons offered strange fire before God. God killed them. I read about kings who made orations unto themselves and the worms ate them. I hear and read about queens who absolutely rebelled against anything to do with God and the dogs ate her. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It's a dangerous thing to play with the most awesome thing that will ever be known to man. A a rebellious spirit. There's no want of God. And then this whole idea of rejecting His will. We don't want any way of God. We, We don't want God's way. And so we conform to the culture rather than minister to it. We conform to, as we said before, belief systems and ideas. And Well, that's what my daddy always told me. Well, your daddy may not always been right. Well, I was reading in a book the other day. Was it the Bible? 
Because I'm going to tell you something. I have a bunch of books in my office. And many of those books I've read in depth in commentaries of some of the greatest men that I've ever had a a chance of knowing or, or heard about. And not always see eye to eye on everything they say. Because it's a man's writing. But I've never opened this Bible. Any Bible. The holy book, the book of books, and read anywhere in it that I disagreed with. Now, let me explain that for a minute. Doesn't mean mean I liked it. But I couldn't disagree with it because it's God's word. It is the final authority, not you. And listen, there's some smart people in this room. Brilliant. I mean that. I'm not being cute or facetious. There are some brilliant minds here. But all of us together are simply empty heads compared to the depth of truth. Because this word, listen, I can encourage people, but I can't make them alive. This word, you know, so that's what I realized early in pastorate is if I'm going to encourage anyone when they are at their lowest point, then I must give them Jesus, not me. I can't say, oh, uh, I feel for you and I understand. No, no, no. They don't hear all that. But I can say God's word says he'll never leave you. God's word said, comfort one another with these words. God's word said, and they were all amazed and said, oh, how he loved them. God's word is alive and sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword. We have become locked up and locked out. We have locked ourselves in and locked God out. And in so doing, we have limited God. But God's word tells us in John that he's the door. In one place, Jesus says, I stand at your door and knock. And if any man will open and let me in. I will come in and dwell. I'm going to stop and finish. I'm halfway through. But I'm not going to wear on your patience. Are you limiting God? You locked yourself into an old way of thinking or I'm not going to change. Bless God, I'll go down fighting but this is the way it's going to be and I'm not saying be conformed to the world. I'm saying be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service. Turn the key this morning. Turn the key. Just, I mean, we're so locked down. We've got regular lock. 
We've got the deadbolt. We've got the chain. And then we've set the security code on our heart. And we're afraid something or someone may break through. And it is time, listen, to hit override. Snatch the chain off. Throw the deadbolt. Turn the handle. And say, God, come into my life. Lord, I'm unlocked. I want all the walls torn down, all the lines in the sand erased. God, may you have precedence in my life right now. We can worry about tonight. We can worry about tomorrow when it comes. But right now, oh God, I need you. I need you as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to die if I leave here and die without you today. Lord, come into my life and save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Lord, I am out of the will of God. I've been saved, but I have locked you out. I have fallen back into the fleshly ways of the world. I have reverted back to my own thinking. God, I need you to inrush into my life. Reform me. Revive me. Make me whole. They come to the instrument. Are you limiting a limitless God? And here's the title. We've talked all about limiting. But remember something. The last part of that is God is limitless. Moses rebelled. They still went in. Ten out of the twelve spies said, oh, we're afraid of the giants. The people, except for them, still went in. God is still limitless whether you limit him or not. As the song says, God is on the move. Will you move with him? And understand, God's not going to stop and plead and beg forever because his kingdom continues to advance. Will you come and get on God's side and say, God, I want to get into the stream of of your limitlessness. That you would overwhelm me with your grace and mercy and long-suffering. God could have destroyed them all over and over and over and over again. Because of their rebellion. But his love lingered still. And his love for you is real today. Will you come and trust it? As we stand and sing. Great are you Lord. Come to him. Come to our great God. Trust Him. Trust Him today with whatever you face.